1: That show hasn't been funny in years, an SNL podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Nick DiGilio, and I'm a podcaster, a comedy writer, a performer, graduate of Second City, and a Saturday Night Live expert and historian. Uh, Each week, we'll look back at everything SNL, the best, the worst, the good, the bad, the classic, the forgotten. We'll talk about full seasons, full casts, behind-the-scenes stories, episodes, sketches, SNL's historical significance, and much, much more. Sometimes I'll have a guest, sometimes I won't, but with every episode I will always prove that that tired cliche that you hear all the time, that show hasn't been funny in years, is absolutely wrong and not true. And uh, this is episode 6, and today I'm going to be talking about the 11 official SNL movies. Now, you might think, wait a minute, there's got to be more than 11, but technically, technically there are only 11 true SNL Saturday Night Live made movies. And these are movies that are based entirely on sketches that started on SNL, ideas and characters that we created at SNL uh, and then became movies. Now, we're not going to include things like Tommy Boy or uh, any of the Chris Farley stuff or stuff like Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore, the Adam Sandler movies, stuff like that. We're not going to include things like Animal House or Dr. Detroit or, you know, um, uh, stuff like Anchorman or Bridesmaids. These are movies that were made, obviously, by and written, in, in some cases, by SNL writers and SNL cast members, but they weren't created at Saturday Night Live. Uh, you know. So these are the movies that were created by the folks at Saturday Night Live, by writers and by, and by performers, and characters that were first performed as sketches on SNL. So there's only 11 of them. Most of them came out in the 90s, and two of them are sequels. So that even narrows it down even more. I know it's hard to believe because you just keep thinking, oh, God, there's got to be more than like nine original SNL movies and two sequels. No, that's just not the case. And, 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 you know, we have to separate the difference between, you know, movies that starred SNL former cast members and movies that were created by SNL writers and directors as opposed to ones that were created on the stage and in the world of Saturday Night Live. And also it's a little bit weird because like in the 90s when these movies when most of these movies the majority of these films I'm about to run down all 11 of them of uh, you know of the majority of them were made in the 90s and that was at a time when Lauren Michaels started going a little crazy with producing stuff Like, he wanted to make everything into a movie. He was producing scripts here and there all over the place. Um, I will do an entire episode of this podcast dedicated pretty much entirely to uh, movies that never got made that were based on SNL sketches. Because at some point, it seemed like every character that was created on SNL or every sketch that was created on SNL, at some point, there was a movie deal. There were scripts being made. There were productions being done. Lauren, at one point, and this was in the 90s, like starting in the early 90s and all the way through until like the... I guess early 2000s, it got to, it got into Lauren's head that he wanted to produce as many SNL-inspired movies ever, and anything that took off on the show, anything that got a catchphrase or anything that became a t-shirt or anything that people were talking about at the water cooler, anytime people were walking around quoting SNL or loving the characters or acting like them or buying the shirts or the hats or the stuff, immediately Lauren was like, we have to produce, I have to produce this, and we have to make movies out of it. Well, only 11 of them were technically made. Now, there are a couple that I'm not going to include. Uh, the 11 that I'm going to include, and I'm going to do it a little bit differently. I'm actually going to throw my thoughts in uh, on this. You know, being a film critic that I have been for many, many years, um, I am going to throw in my thoughts on these movies. So I'm going to rank them in order. I will tell you when they came out. I will tell you who directed them and who wrote them and some behind the scenes stories and some trivia about each one of the 11 films, as I love to do on this podcast to give you some information that you probably didn't know or that maybe if you knew you forgot or to give you some trivia that uh, that I dug up and or just know. So I I will provide you with some stories and some background information and stuff you probably never even heard of before, but I'm also going to throw in my opinions and instead of like talking about them chronologically, I'm going to rank them in order of bad to best. Now I have to be honest with you. Of the eleven movies, um, most of them aren't very good. I will say that. Uh, I will say that these are not um, these are not uh, these are not great movies. We're not <laughs> the majority of them. In fact, are kind of bad. So, um, uh, so I just want to you know I got to be honest about it. And there was a time when Lauren was rushing these things into production to get them made to take advantage of the popularity of the sketches and of the characters. And so uh you know some of the quality is you know a little lackluster. Now, there are a couple in here that I think are great, and many of them provide some pretty good laughs, but for the most part, they're not very good movies, um, and some of them are really, and few of them are really bad of the eleven. Now, let me get to uh, the ones that I'm not going to include, but I technically could. Now, if you want to be very technical about it, I could include uh six other films that I don't um here, and, and because it's kind of stretching it. And it kind of alters the definition just a little bit. So I, I'm including, of the 11 that, I, that I'm that i including, those are kind of absolutely straight-up official SNL sketch characters slash, you know, uh, uh, related and inspired movies. But I do have six other ones that I could, if I wanted to be very technical about it, include. But I'm not including, uh, for instance, I'm not including Mr. Saturday Night. Mr. Saturday Night, which was the film that became a Broadway show, that Billy Crystal wrote and directed. He was in it. He he played Buddy Young Jr., who was an old Catskills vaudevillian-like comedian Um, and, uh, you know, became a very successful film and also now a huge, it was a huge Broadway musical nominated for a lot of Tonys. Uh, And in fact, David Pamer got an Oscar nomination for Supporting Actor for Mr. Saturday Night when the movie came out in 1992. Buddy Young Jr., the character that Billy Crystal plays, actually did Uh, appear on Saturday Night Live before they made the movie. Now, it started in 1984 as a character he created on an HBO special called The Comics Line. But then he showed up on Weekend Update, the one season that Billy Crystal was on. That was season 10, 84 to 85. When Billy Crystal was on Saturday Night Live, he brought Buddy Young Jr., the vaudevillian, old-school, Jewish Catskill comedian, to to Weekend Update. So technically, I could have included mr saturday night but i didn't because the character was kind of created elsewhere and brought to snl and and was not really a sketch it was a character that billy crystal had already developed that he brought to snl but i could have included mr saturday night which has deep connections to snl i didn't include it uh and another one that i did not include was uh gilda live uh gilda live the reason i didn't include this is because essentially it was a broadway show and this was gilda Radner's show that she did on broadway Uh, during her final year of SNL and after her final year of SNL. And she did bring her characters to it. Rosanna, Rosanna Dana was on, was in there. uh, And some of the other characters that she did on SNL are a part of it. Father Guido Sarducci, Don Novello actually is in the show. Um, And she did bring her characters with and do some of the stuff that she did on SNL, but it was musical. It was directed by Mike Nichols and, uh, and Gilda Redner did it on Broadway. It was technically a Broadway show, which was just kind of filmed for, film for movies. And it got a, a a small release in movie theaters and then it became kind of popular on video and then the album became really huge too. But technically it's not really a movie, it's a filmed Broadway production that just takes some of the characters that she did in SNL and put them on stage. Now, Do I Love Gilda Live? I do. It's from 1980. It's a wonderful filmed version of her Broadway show I never got to see, never got to see it. I played the album uh, live from New York, Gilda Radner, the Gilda Live album. I played it constantly when I was a kid, constantly. I was 15 years old when it came out, played it over and over and over again. I loved Gilda Radner, obviously one of the greatest cast members in the history of SNL, one of the true originals, one of the best female cast members of all time. And she was so multi-talented and so funny. And I loved the show. If you get a chance, it's out on, uh, you can find it on video. You can find it streaming elsewhere. I think it's on Blu-ray, but it's called Gilda Live and Mike Nichols directed it. And I'll give you a little taste of it. This was the opening number, a little teeny piece of the opening number where Gilda walks out on stage with her overalls being as, as adorable and lovely and beautiful and luminous as Gilda Radner is. Uh, the pay, the, it's a Broadway theater packed to the gills, and she comes out and sings a song called Let's Talk Dirty to the Animals, and this is from Gilda Live, which technically I am not including on the 11 official SNL movies, but here we go. The animals,
0: the animals. Let's talk dirty to the animals. Fuck you, Mr. Bunny.
1: So that's Guild Alive. That's the opening number. It's fantastic. I didn't include it because it technically is not one of the 11 official SNL movies, but you should you should seek it out. Directed by Mike Nichols, the Broadway show Guild Alive. I also did not include Office Space. Now, Office Space, if you want to be very technical about it, it could be considered an SNL movie because the character Milton that uh, Steven Root plays and the character of Bill Lumberg, the fantastic character that Gary Cole plays in the movie Office Space, Mike Mike Judge's fantastic cult movie. Uh, They originated as very short animated shorts um, that actually Mike Judge was doing before he started doing Beavis and Butthead. And they were these little shorts about Milton. uh, And they appeared on SNL. They started uh, in 1991, and they would appear periodically on SNL through like the mid-90s. And it was all about Milton, the character that Stephen Root played. And they were animated in that really weird, basic Style um, that Beavis and Butthead uh, was animated. And they would end up on, they they, they ended up on SNL. They were also on Liquid Television and a little bit of MTV. But, you know, he was animating these things, Mike Judge. The thing that took off for him was obviously Beavis and Butthead. But um, around that time, he created Milton. The the poor guy, the poor schmuck that was in the office who they kept moving down into the basement, and they were, his red stapler was taken from him and all that stuff. That all originated as the little animated shorts that Mike Judge did in the early 90s. Let me play a little clip. The, this is uh, from the Milton uh, animated shorts that you can find. They're out there online. You can find them anyway. But these were the inspiration for the movie uh, Office Space.
0: I, I told Bill if they move my desk one more time, I'm quitting. I used to be over by the window, and they moved me three times already this year and if they do it one more time i'm mad of here i used to have my own stapler too and then when i moved back they made me give back my stapler and, and but bill told me i'm supposed to have a stapler so I, until i'm told different i'm just gonna take a stapler and if they make me give it back i'll, I'll just i'll set the building on fire Oh, hello, Milton. What's happening? Um, I'm going to need you to go ahead and move your desk again. So uh, well, if you could go ahead and just get it as far back into that corner as possible, that'd be terrific. But- that way we'll have some more room for some of these boxes and things we need to put in here. Well, okay. And, uh, oh, there's that stapler I've been looking for here. Um, Let me but- just go ahead and get that from you. Thank-
1: so that's... As you can tell, I mean, those are the characters uh, that would eventually become Stephen Root and Gary Cole in the movie Office Space, uh, Bill Lumberg and Milton. And Milton, again, uh, the shorts were about this this Milton guy who eventually is going to, like, kill somebody. He's going to go nuts and, like, burn the building down or do something crazy. And that all was incorporated in the movie. And those shorts technically did debut on SNL. So I could have included Office Space, but I did not. Uh, I also did not include Bob Roberts, um, the 1992 political mockumentary satire that Tim Robbins wrote and directed and starred in as the political candidate Bob Roberts also folk singer a very conservative right-winged crazed folk singer well Tim Robbins did a short film that debuted on December 13th 1986 when Steve Gutenberg <laughs> was the what's the host and the pretenders were the musical guest and there was just this short film Tim Robbins wasn't even the host at that time and he debuted this short film about this character named Bob Roberts. Um, and it was a short film that, that, you know, Tim Robbins was not at the time a cast member. He wasn't even hosting that night. So that's why Bob Roberts doesn't count. But if you want to go back to the very first time that the Tim Robbins character of Bob Roberts actually makes an appearance anywhere, it's in a short film from December 13th, 1986 episode um, where uh, he, he, he has a short uh, of of uh, Bob Roberts that he put on there. So technically, I could have included Bob Roberts. I also did not include The Mighty Wind, which is the Christopher Guest, uh, one of the many Christopher Guest mockumentaries, And this one was about folk music and folk singers and reunions and concerts and stuff like that. And there is a group in there, uh, you know, a fake group uh, among the many that are in the in the movie called the Folksmen. And uh, the Folksmen actually appeared on SNL on November third, nineteen eighty four. And this was that year where Christopher Guest and Billy Crystal and Martin Shorten, those guys, the all-star kind of year, uh, where they were on for that one season, and Christopher Guest made these short films, um, and one of them included The Folksman. Um, and it it, was a, it, was, it debuted in 1984, and Michael McKeon was the host. And so, you know, obviously Michael McKeon and Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer and all those guys, they were all uh, part of Spinal Tap. So they did these this folks, this Folksman characters, Uh, that they showed on November 3rd 1984 when Michael McKeon was the uh, was the host so technically the folksmen who are part of a mighty wind originated on SNL but there were so much other so many other characters and stuff in that that I didn't include the mighty wind and the last one that I didn't include is a very fucking weird movie called Harold Harold was written and directed by a guy named T. Sean Shannon who I've mentioned a couple of times on this podcast T. Sean Shannon was a writer for SNL, I think for five seasons, wrote some really crazy and original and goofy shit, uh, spent, I think, three seasons under head writer Tina Fey, um, and uh, was mostly responsible. Most, the biggest thing he was responsible for was those short, weird films called Bear City, where everybody lived in a city in bear costumes. Very, very strange. But anyway, he did a short film about this prematurely balding teenager named Harold, and it debuted on SNL... Uh, as one of the weird shorts that T. Sean Shannon was responsible for. And it was about this, it was a very short, weird little film about a young kid, like 14 years old, who was prematurely balding and the life that he lived. Well, they made a feature movie out of it in 2008. T. Sean Shannon wrote and directed this. It features Spencer Breslin as the prematurely balding teenager. Cuba Gooding Jr. is in it. Ali Sheedy plays the kid's mother. Rachel Dratch is in it. Colin Quinn is in it. Fred Willard is in it. Chris Parnell is in it. So a lot of SNL alum and, and you know, cast members, people that T. Sean Shannon worked with while he was a writer, are in this movie. It is a terrible, terrible movie that probably seven of us entirely have seen. I did not include it, one, because, again, it's stretching it a little bit, and two, it's a terrible movie. Um, but interesting uh, that it exists, and I know a lot of people don't even know it exists. Here's from the, here, here's from the trailer just a quick little taste of Harold, the movie that was uh, written and directed by T. Sean Shannon featuring Spencer Breslin as a teenager going bald, who's, like, bald. Um, here's a little clip from Harold.
0: <laughs> How's your day, Harold?
1: Eh, about as fun as a rectal exam. Oh! Just relax! You're like the spitting image of a younger Lindsay Lohan. Really? What, you think just because I'm bald, no cute girl would have anything to do with me? Well, think again, because I'm going over the nerd wall and I ain't never going back. How about I buy you guys some beer? You're crazy, kid. How old are you? Look at me, I'm old.
0: I know that, but we give discount to 60 and older.
1: You're just creepy. Hey, way to go, Blair! Relax, mommy hasn't touched me in my swimsuit area. So that—that's <laughs> from the trailer. Now I've seen the whole movie, and it's as bad as you can hear the jokes in that trailer. I—I um, I don't know how the thing got. It, I guess it didn't even get released. I had to dig it up, and I watched it like on the—you uh, know—I watched it on the internet. Um, but it's called Harold, and I technically I could have included that because you know a very short film about this balding teenager appeared on SNL once. But I didn't include Harold, uh, because there's already enough bad movies on this list of 11. So uh, those are the movies that I did not include. So let's actually get to the list of the official 11 um, uh, films. And I'm putting them in order of uh, how from bad to best. Now, keep in mind, a lot of these movies, as I've said, are not good. There are a lot of bad movies on this list. In fact, the majority of the films on this list are really bad. Some of them are kind of funny, and only a couple of them are really, really terrific and great movies. So let's start at the very bottom. So we're going from terrible, slowly climbing up to really good, and there are 11 of them. Number 11, probably the worst official SNL movie of all time, is It's Pat from 1994. Now, this is the movie that is based upon the character that Julia Sweeney played in the uh, mid-'90s. Um, And this was the character, and it's (laughs) Pat, that thing, where the idea was very weird-looking character, very weird acting character, that you didn't know. The joke was that you didn't know whether this person was male or female, and it drove everybody insane, and everybody wanted to know and had to know if Pat was a man or a woman. And that was the joke. Now, I have to say that I think that the sketches on SNL were funny. I thought the character was weird and creepy and also very funny. It's a one-joke thing that can last for about three minutes. Oh, by the way, this is something that's going to recur a lot as I talk about these movies, is that the problem with a lot of these movies is that they're based upon sketches that were probably three to maybe four minutes long. And to stretch that out to two hours or to 95 minutes even is, is very difficult and, ve- and almost impossible to do. And that's the case with It's, with, with its Pat, which is essentially um, a one-joke premise. It's like, weird character comes out. Is it a man? Is it a woman? You can't do a 90-minute movie based on that one joke with a character that's so weird and unbelievably annoying. And that was the case. Adam Bernstein directed it. Adam Bernstein is responsible for some amazing videos. He did Beastie Boy stuff, B-52s, Sir Mix-A-Lot. He did, uh, uh, you know... Uh, Baby got back. He did some ZZ Top stuff, and then he would go on to direct stuff for Breaking Bad and Orange Is the New Black and Billions and the Lord of the Lord of the Rings, uh, Law and Order uh, stuff. The film was written by Julia Sweeney and Stephen Hibbert, who played the Gimp in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, that's right. The guy who was the Gimp in Pulp Fiction co-wrote the movie version of It's Pat. Uh, Jim Emerson also co-wrote it, and he was a writer on SNL who helped Julia Sweeney write the sketches. And it was ghostwritten by Quentin Tarantino. So not only did the guy who played the gimp from Pulp Fiction write this, so did Quentin Tarantino. So if just remember, Quentin Tarantino has won Oscars for his writing, but he also he helped write It's Pat. So anytime he gets a little too big for his britches, which in the world of Quentin Tarantino was, I don't know, daily, somebody should just go up to him and go, hey, could you sign uh, my script for It's Pat that you co-wrote? The movie came out, in fact, the same year as Pulp Fiction, um, and it was, it was, it, it's insane. The, 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 the character is, the backstory is that Julia Sweeney created the character of Pat while she was performing uh, with the Groundlings, and then she brought that character to Saturday Night Live, um, and the mannerisms and the body language were based on this male coworker that she met while she was working as an accountant, um, and when she first tested it out, the impressions her friends told her it was good, but it didn't seem convincing as a man. And that's when she came up with the gimmick to have Pat's gender be a complete mystery. The first time that uh, Pat appeared was in 1990. John Goodman was the host. Faith No More was the guest, musical guest. Um, and, um, and the only other cast member in the sketch was Kevin Nealon. And when Roseanne Barr came to host that same season, she loved the character and said, I want to do a sketch with Pat. And that's when it took off. It is a terrible, terrible movie. There are no laughs in it at all without question the very worst of the 11 um, official SNL movies Uh, and here's a little clip from It's Pat.
0: me, Tiffy. Oh oh Pat what do you want? uh, Well I just thought I'd stop by and pick up a few personal items. Oh no 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 please remember no I don't want to know about your your sex life okay. I just want to get a few toiletries. (laughs) Uh, first of all, I need some protection. Oh, dear God. Okay, all right. I'm underarm wetness. I'm never one to offend. <laughs> 250 then, all right? And you're out. What am I, in a race? <laughs> Whoa. What well, kind of a place. am I need a lubricant. What? For my eyes, they're drying up due to the pollen and dust in the air. <laughs> oh great help me someone just help me and i need some feminine napkins oh i'm in hell i'm in hell now you never know when aunt wilma's gonna stop by for lunch oh. <laughs> it. all right oh. okay good oh. there it goes it's yours okay all right in the so name you God, you'll f- go now you know just go on okay Pay or anything no or- it's on me go ahead and go now all right okay you're gone Bye, bye
1: now bye yeah so that's it, pat um it's a horrible movie <laughs> And again, this was at the time when Lauren Michaels was saying, yes, let's make that a movie. Yes, let's make that a movie. Yes, let's make that a movie. Any sketch that kind of took off, any catchphrase that sort of sold a T-shirt, he immediately wanted to make into a movie. And the result is uh, the worst SNL movie of all time. It's Pat. And again, ghostwritten by Quentin Tarantino. Number 10, as we move up from terrible to bad to, you know, whatever, another terrible movie, Blues Brothers 2000. This is the first of the two sequels. That are on the list. This one came out in nineteen ninety eight. Blues Brothers two thousand. It was directed by John Landis and written by Dan Aykroyd and John Landis, the same director and writing team that brought you the original Blues Brothers. It is uh, one of the most unnecessary sequels ever in the history of movies. Um, it was made many, many years after one of the stars of the original had died. Uh, how did they replace John Belushi? They replaced him with John Goodman and a cute kid. Everything about this movie is wrong. Every decision, everything that they did. There's virtually no comedy in it. There are no laughs in it. The best thing about this movie and the only thing that makes it even worth watching is the musical lineup. During the last like 20 minutes of the film, it's a bunch of incredible musicians and musical artists all getting together and basically jamming at the House of Blues. And since uh, Dan Aykroyd owns House of Blues, that's what the movie is. It's selling House of Blues. It's selling his vodka. And essentially what happened was they wrote a really shitty movie around a pretty great closing concert. Um, And that's not a movie. It's a terrible, terrible movie and an excuse for uh, Dan Aykroyd to sell tickets to the House of Blues and to get together with his really amazing musician friends and film a concert. Uh, and, And again, the music is great. The concert is great. It is absolutely an awful movie that nobody asked for. Um, and nobody really went to see it. It bombed. Uh, Landis and Aykroyd um, and John Goodman didn't accept, like they, they they, worked for scale to keep the movie made. Um, uh, apparently Dan Aykroyd lost 90 pounds to play the part. Um, and uh, they were really unhappy. Landis and Aykroyd were really unhappy with the changes that the studio forced them to make. Uh, Landis went on to do a really small independent movie afterward called Susan's Plan just to cleanse his palate from making it. Um, It was bad all the way around. Nobody really likes it, even the people that are in it, even the people that made it. I interviewed John Landis. He does not have great memories about Blues Brothers 2000. And even fans of the first one. I'm not a really big, as you'll hear, I'm not a huge fan of the Blues Brothers. Yes, I'm not. I'm not a fan of the 1980 classic Blues Brothers movie. I am not a fan, and we'll talk about that as we go along. But even fans of the Blues Brothers hate this one. And you can't make a Blues Brothers movie without John Belushi. Now, here's a clip Uh, that is a visual clip, but I will describe it very quickly. Uh, The cops have come, and it's also a beat-for-beat repeat of the first movie. Uh, The cops are after them. they got to get away. They're they're doing crazy stuff. They're trying to get to a concert, blah, blah, blah. It's essentially the same plot, almost beat-for-beat as the original, only not nearly as good and really bad. And at one point, they're trying to get away from the cops, so Danny Aykroyd sprays a bunch of shaving cream across his face and then pretends to be crazy? Anyway, here's a little bit of the non-comedy from Blues Brothers 2000. Wait,
0: come on, man. I got a cheeseburger cooling. Buster, I'm sorry. Now you're going to have to see a bad side of me. Mac, your shaving cream, please. So none of you is driving the Ford out there? Mm -hmm. And whose dry white toast is that? He's having an attack. It's his
1: pump ball bacteria. It's extremely contagious. What? Oh, oh, God. Yeah. Run away! Run no. uh, no. away! All right, so what's happening is he's running around, Dan Eckard's running around with a giant ball of shaving cream with the sunglasses on and the hat on his head, and he's eating cheeseburgers and running around screaming. And that is the level of comedy in Blues Brothers 2000. A terrible movie, uh, an unnecessary sequel, and uh, an embarrassment, and the 10th uh, worst uh, of, of, the, uh, of the 11 official SNL movies. Let's move up to number nine on the list, and these, again, are in order of how much I dislike them. Uh, it's Pat's the Worst, Blues Brothers 2000 is next, and then the next worst one is Wayne's World 2. And uh, and I also, it's the second sequel, the other sequel that's on here. And also, I'm not a fan of Wayne's World. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. Didn't like the original Wayne's World. This is from 1993, um, and it was directed by Steven Sergik, who was a TV director who did a bunch of episodes of Kids in the Hall. He did a lot of comic book TV in, in the recent years, like Punisher and Umbrella Academy. He did uh, Luke Cage and Daredevil. The movie was written by Mike Myers and Bonnie and Terry Turner, who also helped create the characters and write the original movie and write the Coneheads movie as well, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, But this was the sequel to Wayne's World. Of course, there was going to be a sequel to Wayne's World because of all the movies that that I'm mentioning here, Wayne's World was by far the most successful in terms of box office. Um, It by far. Bar was the most monetarily successful SNL movie of all time. It made a ton of money and a huge profit. And, of course, there was going to be a sequel. And, of course, Lauren wanted it immediately. And the sequel came out uh, about a year after Wayne's World did, a little bit more than a year after the original Wayne's World. And, uh, again, a lot of people – I'm not a fan of Wayne's World. I'm not a fan of the original movie. And I certainly am not a fan of the second one. I think the second one is horrible. Um, But it made a lot of money its opening weekend, and even fans of Wayne's World admit that Wayne's World 2 is really, really bad. Uh, Penelope Spheris, who directed the original, was asked why she declined to direct the sequel, and she said that she couldn't deal with Mike Myers again. Uh, Mike Myers and Spheris uh, had horrible creative differences, uh, and Myers wanted to block her from directing the sequel, so she went on to do The Beverly Hillbillies instead. Um, the Aerosmith concert that they filmed that's supposed to take place in Chicago actually takes place in San Diego. Um, and, uh, there are a lot of, a, a lot of references to other movies and apparently Mike Myers, who was wielding a lot of power at that time, wanted Federico Fellini to direct. Uh, I don't know if that's real or not, but it's something I heard. So Wayne's World 2 is a terrible movie. I will get to why I don't like Wayne's World or Mike Myers very much when we talk about Wayne's World, but this is Wayne's World 2 coming in at number nine on the here's a a little clip from Wayne's World 2 in a scene that takes off uh, a complete uh, like parody of Oliver Stone's The Door
0: who are you I'm Jim Morrison cool who's he a weird naked Indian cool why have you brought me here to help you find some answers Wayne answers to what ask me a question okay Two trains are traveling at 60 miles an hour. One from Chicago, one from Los Angeles. No, ask me a question about your life. What am I supposed to do with my life? You should put on a concert in Aurora, Wayne. How am I going to get the bands to come? If you book them, they will come. But I don't know anything about putting on a concert. You must go to England and find a man named Del Preston. He's the greatest roadie that ever lived. He was with us in the good times and the bad. He will help you. Any more questions? Will Garth ever get his Sports Illustrated football phone? It was sent to the wrong house. We'll arrive tomorrow along with the swimsuit issue and the video, the Stanley Cup, 100 years of glory. Hey, how do I get back?
1: Follow the weird, naked Indian. Cool. Yeah, and that's Wake about the yeah that's about the level of uh, that's about the level of of comedy that we're talking about there. A terrible movie made a ton of money at opening weekend. Um, I guess it kind of broke even, um, and 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 just made the reputation of Mike Myers being difficult uh, even more true. And we'll get to that in a couple of seconds. So that's uh, Wayne's World came out in nineteen Wayne's World two came out in nineteen ninety three. Also in 1993 is Coneheads. Uh, Again, a movie that nobody really asked for considering that the Coneheads stopped being a thing in 1979, in early 1979. So we're talking like 16, 17 years of it not being a thing. And then again, you know, Dan Aykroyd being Dan Aykroyd who continues to do stuff that nobody really wants. Did a movie version of it. Steve Barron directed it, who directed a terrific movie called Electric Dreams. He also did a really nice version, interesting version of Pinocchio. But he is one of the landmark director, uh, directors of classic 80s uh, videos. I mean, if you look up Steve Barron's credits in terms of the really big 80s MTV Explosion era videos, Steve Barron directed a bunch of them. Well, he directed this uh, movie, Coneheads, which was written by Dan Aykroyd, Tom Davis, uh, and the Turners, uh, who helped write the Wayne's World movies as well. Um, and it's a, it's a really terrible movie. Um, the only good thing about this movie is that it has an incredible cast. Like, if you're looking, uh, one of the things about this movie is that it actually is one of the only movies that uh, has people like Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin, Lorraine Newman, Garrett Morris, and John Lovitz, who were once on SNL, and then current cast members who were at that time on SNL. It also featured Julia Sweeney, Tim Meadows, Phil Hartman, Jan Hooks, Chris Farley, David Spade, and Adam Sandler, who were all on SNL at that time. So this movie does have the distinction of having great ex-cast members and current cast members, because at the time when the movie came out in 93, these guys were still on SNL. So it was unique in that way. And it was fun to watch the older ex-cast members and the newer current cast members work in a movie together. That was the fun part of the movie. The rest of the movie, terrible. The only good thing about the movie, Chris Farley's really sweet and funny in it. And Michelle Burke, Michelle Burke, who was an actress who kind of left the public eye, uh, appeared in some TV shows, but in 1993 had an amazing year because she was not only in this, she was also in Dazed and Confused and fantastic in Dazed and Confused. A lovely actress who takes over for Lorraine Newman. I guess they thought Lorraine Newman was too old to play the teenage daughter, despite the fact that Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin played their parts. So they got Michelle Burke to play the part. She's the best part of the movie. She's really wonderful. She takes terrible material and makes it charming and funny. And the sort of relationship that she has with Chris Farley's character is sweet. And it's by far the best part of the movie. Here's a clip from Coneheads from 1993, which, by the way, again, had a really strong opening weekend and then bombed. And the only reason people went to see it at all was because of those hot cast members from 1993 who were in it. Here's a quick, cut. Uh,
0: is a seven-letter word for a tomb in ancient Egypt, which is a quadrilateral masonry mass having smooth, steeply sloping sides meeting at an apex. A Flindar. Ah. Uh. Good morning, principal units. John, greetings, young one. What would you like for consumables? Pop-tarts? Chicken embryos? Seasoned patties of ground animal flesh? Mm. I'm not really hungry. Just some tang. Ah, tang. The drink the astronauts took to the moon. Astronauts to the moon. <laughs> the pro shop called. Your new putter has arrived. Ah, my hawk, TruFlex PowerPoint with graphite shaft. A secret of golf pros everywhere. A truly manly putter. Ah, what have you done to your cone? Nothing. No. Turn around. <laughs> it's not a real tattoo. Mebs, Nebs! Unacceptable! It's just a decal. Everyone's wearing them. If everyone jumped into the bitumious cauldron, would you jump into... I am not a little cone anymore, Dad. Maintain low tones with me. Maintain low tones. Now go to the hygienic chamber and remove it. Also, you are wearing far too much lip and cheek enhancement. Mom, my makeup looks okay, doesn't it? Do not invoke the approval of your other parental unit. Mm. Now, if you wish to accompany me to the enclosed retail compound, you will make the necessary corrections and remove the decal.
1: Alright, so that's uh from Coneheads, and that's that scene featured Michelle Burke, who's the best part of the movie. Uh, again, they recycled a lot of the jokes from, you know, people might not even remember them. Uh the Tang joke was done a million times uh, you know, during the uh during the sketches on SNL. Uh it seemed forced and overwritten like a lot of Dan Aykroyd's stuff is, um, and it wasn't funny at all. And it was kind of there's a lot of weird, gross-out humor in it. Um, and oddly. The newer cast members came off better than the classic cast members in that movie, and I never thought that I would say, <laughs> I would say that. Um, I hated it, and I loved the Coneheads as a sketch and those characters on SNL. Some of the most classic characters in the history of Saturday Night Live are the Coneheads, and those sketches are classic. The movie, way too late, shouldn't have come out. Dan Aykroyd again, trying to milk something that doesn't have milk in it anymore. So Coneheads came out in 1993. Again, great opening box office weekend, and then bombed after that. Next was The Ladies' Man, number seven, um, from the year 2000. And again, this was like at the tail end of that period where Lauren Michaels was like, let's produce it, let's produce it, let's produce it. And The Ladies' Man was kind of at the end of that whole era where he was trying to get everything made into a movie. The Ladies' Man, obviously, not anything to do with the Jerry Lewis movie. Uh, I do want to make sure that uh, that you know that the original Jerry Lewis movie is not a sequel. It's not a remake. It has nothing to do with that. The Ladies' Man was the character that um, Tim Meadows played um, uh, where he would do a, a radio, like a like a talk show, a cable access talk show. Uh, he was the Ladies' Man. And um, and it, they made a movie. Of course, they made a movie out of it. And again, the trouble here is, as with you know the majority of the movies on this list, that they took a three-minute sketch and they had to completely stretch it out to 90 minutes. And you just can't do it. Now, there are moments in this movie that are funny because there are a lot of very funny people in it. It was directed by Reggie Hudlin. Reggie Hudlin is a great director who directed House Party and Boomerang and so many other terrific movies. And there are some inspired moments in this movie, and it's actually really well made. Uh, Tim Meadows wrote it with Dennis McNicholas uh, and Andrew Steele, um, who wrote for SNL. And he also, wrote, uh, he also wrote the film version of Land of the Lost. Uh, less we talk about that, the better. Um, and it has moments because Tim Meadows is great. The thing about Tim Meadows is he was on that show for 10 years. He was on SNL for 10 years. And he's one of the most reliable uh, cast members in the history of the show. He was always solid, always funny. He always did great work. He, no matter what he did, he was funny. And if you look back at some of the stuff that he did movie-wise, like in Mean Girls, he might be the funniest character and the funniest performance in that movie. He's hilarious, and Tim Meadows is always great. He was the moderator at a Molly Shannon uh, Q&A here at the Chicago Humanities Festival here in Chicago, and he was fantastic, and he's got great stories. And again, he was a solid, he was like a glue uh, cast member on that show for 10 solid years, and he was great. And I love Tim Meadows, and I love the character, but again, it just was not able to be stretched out for 90 minutes. Now, there are some funny things in it the ladies man came out in 2000 bombed it didn't make any money at all and you know net didn't have a big opening weekend nothing uh and it bombed which is unfortunate because i love tim meadows i'm always rooting for the guy uh, but anyway here's a, a quick clip from uh ladies man i think she's gonna be a tough shooter polish all contraire bonjour let me give you the uh play-by-play I will probably
0: begin with a very classic first line. Something like, Hey, sweet thing, can I buy you a fish sandwich? And then I will commence to whisper sweet words in her ear.
1: Something like, Man, I like to take a bite out of your butt. <laughs> <laughs> and then I will close the deal by giving her a preview of the goods. So anyway, that's it. Him hitting on a woman. And, uh, you know, it's, a one again, a one-joke movie. That scene is kind of funny, and a lot of the cast members are great. You heard in the background there John Witherspoon, one of the funniest men that ever lived, uh, who worked with Reggie Hudlin on a couple of other movies. And the only other piece of trivia about this is that I read, and I don't know if this is true, but, you know, I read it, so it might be true. Before he passed away, Jack Lemmon said that it was his favorite film. Let's move on. Uh, The next one, and and this is where we start getting into movies that I actually like. Uh, Now we're getting into movies... Uh, that i that, that that I think are are, are kind of funny, uh, and this the, this this one here uh, there are moments in it that I think are funny, and that 's wayne 's world now wayne's world i 'm not a big fan of the sketches I never was i 'm not a fan of Mike Myers. Uh, I will do an episode at some point about Mike Myers. Mike Myers is allegedly not really allegedly you can see it he 's a joke thief. he has been known to steal bits and steal jokes from other less famous and much funnier people. Uh, like he stole a ton of stuff from other people who just are not as popular or famous as he is. Uh, Wayne's World was uh, has some stuff in it that's very funny. There are some moments in it. The product placement thing is funny, uh, and it does have moments. Um, and, uh, and and so Penelope Spheris directed it, had a very hard time with uh, Mike Myers on it. They struggled the whole time. She is the director of great movies like Decline of the Western Civilization, both of those documentaries, Suburbia, Boys Next Door. She went on to direct The Little Rascals. Beverly Hills, Hillbillies, and then she did Black Sheep, uh, the Chris Farley movie. He did not have a great experience working with Mike Myers uh, on this, but it was a massive hit. People love it. I do not. I have only seen it once and clips here and there. I dated a girl that loved it. I dated a girl that loved Wayne's World. So as a result, I I've seen it more than I would choose to have seen it. But there are moments in it that are kind of funny, and and I don't absolutely despise this movie, despite the fact that I have major major problems with Mike Myers as a talent and as a person but this thing was huge it was a monster success everybody knew it the whole Bohemian Rhapsody thing which by the way you stole from somebody else I'm not going to get into that right now but the whole Bohemian Rhapsody thing you know it boosted the career of Queen again and all of that stuff so it is, you know, it's sort of legendary in the world of catchphrases and movies that people quote and scenes that people remember. And so, you know, it's 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 you know, it's 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 mark in history. Its place in history is pretty much set. I'm not a huge fan of it, but people love it. Here's a quick scene from Wayne's. Tell movie. me, when that first show is
0: over, will you still love me when I'm an incredibly humongoid giant star? Yeah. Will you still love me when I'm in my hanging out with Ravi Shankar phase? Yeah. Will you still love me when I'm in my carbohydrate sequin jumpsuit? Young girls in white cotton panties, waking up in a pool of your own vomit, bloated, purple, dead on a toilet face? Yeah. Okay, party, bonus. Yeah. Oh, hi, Anthony.
1: Who's Anthony? Who's Anthony?
0: My drummer. Okay.
1: All right, so anyway, so that's uh, Wayne's World. What can you say about Wayne's World? I'm not the hugest fan, but it made a ton of money. Number five on my list of liking the movies as we go up, uh, the first one that really consistently makes me laugh, and that's A Night at the Roxbury. Now, again, like most of these movies, it does run out of steam. The last 15 to 20 minutes is repetitive, and it doesn't really work. And again, you're taking a three-minute sketch and stretching it into 90, uh, and it was a three-minute sketch that you would see where the characters didn't talk, like these guys did not talk. So you not only had to make them talk and give them, you know, real characters and give them a relationship and write a backstory, but you had to make all that work. And for the most part, the first hour of A Night at the Roxbury is really funny. Night at the Roxbury came out in 1998. It was directed by John Fortenberry, who started out as an editor working uh, at Broadway Video for um, uh, for, uh, uh, for Lorne, uh, cutting together Best Of, you know, the Best Of SNL cast members and stuff like that. He would cut that stuff together. The only other movie that he directed was Jury Duty, which was the Pauly Shore film, and he did tons of TV. Uh, and, uh, you know, he worked on the Ben Stiller Show and the Dana Carvey Show. This movie, Night of the Roxbury, was written by Stephen Curran uh, and Chris Kattan and Will Ferrell. Um, and I I unabashedly, unabashedly love the characters. I thought every sketch with the Patabi brothers was hysterical. Uh, what is love? Every time I hear the song, it makes me laugh. All of those sketches worked. I mean, if you go back and look at the one with Jim Carrey, that's one of the most legendary sketches in SNL history. And I thought for the most part, especially the first hour, it worked. They did a nice job fleshing out the characters. They gave them kind of a believable, you know, over-the-top parody-like relationship. And all the supporting stuff, the supporting characters are great. Dan Hedaya is hilarious in it. Uh, Chaz Palamentari is laugh out loud funny. Richard Grieco as himself is great. And the incredible Molly Shannon is not only really, really, really funny in this, but also incredibly sexy. And Chris Kattan and Will Farrell are unbelievably great. They work together well. They do great physical stuff. Uh, it falls apart at the end. Again, completely runs out of steam. But for about an hour, Night at the Roxbury is great. And here's one of the funny scenes from Night at the Roxbury. So, anyways, I'm standing there waiting to use the payphone. Yeah, he was, seriously. And this guy who's on the phone turns around and tips his hat like this. And who do you think that guy was? Emilio Estevez, the Mighty Duckman. I swear to God, I was there. Of course you were. You were the one who yelled the Breakfast Clover's name. I was like, Amelio! <laughs> 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 so,
0: anyways. You guys want to make out or what?
1: So that's, that's Night at the Roxbury. I don't know. The movie makes me laugh. Uh, and, yes, it does run out of steam like a lot of these movies do. But I, I'm i a fan. I think Night at the Roxbury is a pretty funny movie. Next, number four, as we go up on quality, in my opinion, is Superstar from 1999 based on uh, the character of Mary Catherine Gallagher. One of my favorite characters ever, uh, Molly Shannon, for me, best female cast member in the history of Saturday Night Live. She did remarkable work, and Mary Crat- Catherine Gallagher is one of those characters that is so wonderful, and to me, three dimensional, and beautiful, and quirky, and smart, uh, and beautifully written. And the weird thing about the the that. Mary Catherine Gallagher, what makes the character so special is that in those three-minute sketches, you see a full three-dimensional character. And Molly Shannon performs it great. And the physical stuff that she does, she's a fearless comedian on every level in terms of material and writing and especially especially physically. I love the character, one of my favorite characters ever. And Bruce McCullough directed it from, uh, you know, Kids in the Hall. He also directed Dog Park and Stealing Harvard. Uh, Molly Shannon wrote it again with Steve Carey. Um, and I and I really like it. I think Will Ferrell's very funny. In it' an interesting cast, you know, supporting cast, including Tom Green, very young Tom Green. Um, and I really love the movie. I, again, it kind of runs out of steam and becomes repetitive in the last fifteen minutes. But for the most, it's one of those movies. Superstar when it's on, uh, I watch it every time it's on cable. Uh, I do every single time it's on cable. If it's on, it's a remote dropper for me. And I know a lot of people didn't, you know, like like Night at the Roxbury, which didn't make any money. Superstar also didn't make any money. And this was, you know, back to back to back. Uh, movies that Lauren was producing that weren't making money, which is why by the time The Ladies' Man came out, those ideas were done. Um, so I back, I back Superstar. I think it's, it's just really funny and a lovely movie. And again, Molly Shannon, my favorite female cast member, Mary Catherine Gallagher, one of my favorite characters of all time. And yes, it gets repetitive and kind of runs out of steam in the last part. But I love Superstar. And here's a quick uh, scene, which I love from Superstar. Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. It has been two days since my last confession. Go ahead.
0: Tell me your sins, my child. Father, my sins would best be expressed in a monologue from the made-for-TV movie Sybil, starring a young Miss Sally Fields as a woman with multiple personality disorder. Go ahead. Ah, look at you, my pretty little girl, sitting there with her face all painted up and her little halter top, you're nothing but a little slut. Don't call me that. I'm a Puerto Rican lady, senor. We all know you're a slut Sibyl and Dorset. We know you're a little slut. No I'm not. I'm not a slut. 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 I'm not a slut.
1: So that's from Superstar, a movie that I unapologetically love. Again, did not do well at the box office, pretty much tanked, uh, but it's one of my favorites. All right. Number three on the list is uh, The Blues Brothers, the original Blues Brothers, a movie that I don't really like very much, but I have to acknowledge is a classic. came out in 1980. I never liked it as much as my friends did. It was written by John Landis and Dan Aykroyd, directed by John Landis. Um I'm not a fan of it. I think it's a one joke movie and that joke is how big can we make the explosion? How big can we make stuff, you know, smash? How many cars can we crash and pile up and then have everybody else underplay it? Like You know, hey, we can blow up this phone booth and it'll blow sky high, but the two Blues Brothers guys will underplay it. They'll be like, oh, here's some change. And it is big, crazy shit happens and everybody underreacts to it. It's a one joke movie and I don't think that joke is funny. I never thought the movie was funny. I I think it's in fact a really stupid movie and a lot of the classic gags I don't like. I think John Candy is the only actor in it who gets away with being funny in it. But the thing that separates it from everything else is that it at that time when the movie was shot in nineteen seventy nine, and by the way, I was living here in Chicago when it was shot, and Mayor Jane Byrne gave them carte blanche, and I love that. I love the use of Chicago. I love the fact that they had free reign to drive and go nuts and break stuff and blow stuff up in the city because Mayor Byrne didn't give a shit. I love that. But um, you know, when the movie came out, Uh, Nobody really cared about James Brown. Nobody really cared about Aretha Franklin or Cab Calloway or Ray Charles or John Lee Hooker. And I love that John Landis and Dan Aykroyd brought the spotlight back to those incredibly important and, uh, you know, great African-American artists that at that time... You, they weren't selling records. People forget about this. But when that movie came out in 1980, nobody bought their records. Nobody cared about them. They were has-beens. Nobody gave a shit about them. And that movie put them back on the map. And that's why I will always have respect and some love for a movie I don't like very much called The Blues Brothers. But that's because the focus that they put on these musicians who were basically forgotten at that point was amazing and uh, gave them a second life. And I will always be grateful to Aykroyd and Landis for putting a spotlight on those incredible, important musicians for people to take a look at. Anyway, everybody loves the Blues Brothers except me.
0: It's good to see you, sweetheart. You contemptible pig. I remained celibate for you. I stood at the back of a cathedral waiting in celibacy for you with 300 friends and relatives in attendance. My uncle hired the best Romanian caterers in the state to obtain the seven limousines for the wedding party. My father used up his last favors with mad Pete Trello. So for me, for my mother, my grandmother, my father, my uncle, and for the common good, I must now kill you and your brother. kill us. You know I love you, baby. I wouldn't leave you. It wasn't my fault. You miserable slug. You think you can talk your way out of this? You betrayed me. No, I didn't. Honest, I ran out of gas. I had a flat tire. I, I didn't have enough money for cab fare. My touch didn't come back from the cleaners. An old friend came in from out of town. Someone stole my car. There was an earthquake, a terrible flood, locusts. It wasn't my fault, I swear to God!
1: (laughs) So that's a classic scene, you know, Carrie Fisher trying to kill them, the whole movie, and then him coming up with all the excuses. Uh, it's a, I mean, there were classic moments in it. I just don't think it's very, very funny. But I do admire the fact that those musicians got the spotlight shined on them. Okay, number two on my list is a truly great movie, and that's MacGruber. MacGruber came out in 2010, completely tanked at the box office. In fact, it has one of the biggest theatrical drop-offs in the history of cinema, where it dropped from 2,546 cinemas to only 177 in three weeks. So it went from tw- over 2,500 theaters to 177 in less than three weeks. It bombed big time. I love it again, based on weird blackout sketches. Where at the end, it's it's a satire of you know of MacGyver, written and by Will Forte. So therefore, it's weird and completely out of, out of out of control. And to fact, the fact that they made a ninety minute movie out of this with you know like Val Kilmer and Ryan Filipe and the great Kristen Wiig, and it works. I think it's hilarious. I think I think MacGruber. The sketches are great, always great. And I think the movie is brilliant. Uh, Jorma Tacone, who uh, Tacone, who is from The Lonely Island Guys, uh directed a bunch of TV stuff. Uh, he also directed Pop Star Never Stop Stopping. Uh, Never Stop, Never Stopping. Um, and uh, you know, and 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 he directed some of the episodes of the TV series that was on Peacock last year. So I love McGruber, and I know it's weird, I know it's dumb, I know it's based. I think Will Forte is one of the craziest and weirdest people that have ever been in Saturday Night Live. And I love MacGruber. Now, MacGruber, when it came out in 2010, bombed huge, huge, massive bomb. But it's got an incredible, passionate cult following, which is why they made the series on Peacock. So people, years later, people were like, oh, wait a minute. I was stupid and dumb by not liking MacGruber. And you were, because it's brilliant. And it is the second best Saturday Night Live movie of all time. Here's a little bit of MacGruber. His own dudes. Fuck you, cunt. And by the way, I have a new team now. Not only do I have Vicky St. Elmo, maybe you've heard of her, but I also have one of the greatest young military
0: minds around.
1: I mean, this guy's the real deal, and we're gonna stop you.
0: Well, you certainly have a healthy imagination, MacGruber, but I don't know anything about a warhead nuclear or otherwise. You're lying. And you're a piece of shit. We're all
1: done here. Would
0: you show Mr. MacGruber the door?
1: Let me tell you how this is gonna go down. First, I'm gonna kick you in the chin, breaking your jaw in four places. I'm gonna take you and karate flip you over my back and then knee your nose into your brain, killing you instantly. I do want to get a throat rip in here. Think that's gonna be you, small fry. One thing I do know, at the end of the day, cunt, I'm gonna rip your dick off and shove it in your mouth, and that
0: is non-negotiable. Who's first?
1: Ah! So that's all right. That's MacGruber. I don't know what to tell you. I love the vulgarity. I love the -the over-the-top, surreal humor of it. I think Will Forte is one of the best cast members and weirdest cast members ever. And the MacGruber movie is brilliant. The sketches are great. And the Peacock series is fantastic. And people are just starting to catch up. All right. Number one on my list from 1995, by far, in my opinion, the best official SNL movie of all time is Stewart saves his family. Yes, Stewart saves his family. A movie that about six people have seen that nobody truly appreciates. Directed by the late, great, amazing Harold Ramis, who has directed obviously a million classic films uh, and a great writer and from Second City and uh, it just uh, a God's gift to filmmaking. Uh, he directed this movie with heart and with whole with soul. Al Franken wrote it. It's based on uh, on his book. Um, I'm Good Enough, I'm Smart Enough, and Doggone It, People Like Me, which is Daily Affirmations by Stuart Smalley. Uh, And Stuart Smalley was a character that was part of Daily Affirmation. They did it 17 times from 1991 to 1995. Daily Affirmation was this sort of basic cable show where Stuart Smalley was this sort of, like, uplifting speaker who was going to help you start off your day with Daily Affirmations. And how they were going to make a movie out of this, I had no idea. I was like, there's no possible way that you could make a movie out of this out of this weird character that's so affected with the weird lisp and the whole wig and everything. I was like, there's no possible way that you could make a movie out of this ridiculous character from these two-minute TV parody sketches, and they did. They not only made a funny movie, but they made a beautiful movie and a heartwarming movie and a great movie about addiction and a great movie you know, um, about being in a family with, uh, with, you know, with people who have addiction uh al franken was married to an alcoholic he comes from a family of alcoholics and he put all of that into this um and wrote a book about about it and wrote a screenplay that eventually became when a man loves a woman with meg ryan and uh um, and Andy Garcia, that eventually became about it. And, and the movie is about codependency and about getting through rough times and about a, a scarred family. It features Laura Sangiacomo, Vincent D'Onofrio, Shirley Knight, Harris U. Lynn, Leslie Boone. It's a great cast and it's a great family movie about, really, about addiction. And I remember when I, I met Harold Ramis one time, and it was after a screening of the, uh, the first Harry Potter movie. And I saw him in the hallway at the McClure Court Theater. And I ran up to him. And I had met him a couple of times, and he obviously is not going to remember who I am because I'm just some dipshit. But I came up to him, and I'm like, hi, Harold. And I shook his hand again. I'm like, I reintroduced myself and told him who I was. And then I just said to him, look, I just want to thank you for Stuart Saves His Family. And he looked at me like, what? Like, with this look on his face like, oh, my God. And then he's like, thank you. Thank you so much. And I told him, you know, uh, how funny I thought it was and how sweet I thought it was and how thoughtful I thought it was. Uh, And he looked at me like, you know, like nobody had ever said that to him before because I didn't say Ghostbusters. I didn't say Groundhog Day. You know, I didn't say Caddyshack, although I like all of those movies. I'm not a big fan of Ghostbusters, but I like all of those movies. But I went right to Stuart Saves His Family, which is a movie that bombed at the box office that got, you know, torn apart by most critics. Ebert gave it a good review, but it got torn apart by most critics. And it was a box office failure on many, many levels. Um, And I think it was it was really nice of Harold the way he looked at me and talked to me afterwards was like, wow, somebody really likes this movie. And I not only like it, I think it's the best Saturday Night Live movie of all time and the most unlikely to take a character that's that affected with the weird hair and the weird wig and the weird, you know, uh, accent and and, and the weird lisp. And uh, to to take it from these two-minute TV parodies and make a two-hour movie about a family, a three-dimensional family dealing with alcoholism, dealing with addiction and codependency, and making it real, making it three-dimensional, and moving, like, I, it t- brings tears to my eyes. And after I got sober, when I watched this movie after I got sober, it even hit me further. Like, I was still a drinking man when I first saw this movie. And the years that I would watch it over and over again, I was still, you know, a drinking man. And I am a recovering alcoholic. And now the movie even hits me harder. It is a beautiful movie. It's also very, very funny. It also has a lot of the shtick that they did in the daily affirmation sketches throughout the entire running time of the movie. But they flesh it out. And what's hard to do in these movies, as I've mentioned repeatedly, is that to take a two-minute sketch and stretch it to 90 minutes is almost impossible. Well, they not only did it here, but they made the characters deep and significant and three-dimensional, and they made the story beautiful and moving and very, very real. It is the most unlikely great movie I've ever seen, and a lot of that has to do with the way that Harold Ramis, the late, great gift from God, Harold Ramis directed it. It's a terrific movie, insanely underrated, uh, and filled with wonderful moments like this.
0: Mrs. This Smaller, your children plan to go ahead with this intervention, whether or not you choose to participate. It would really help, Mom. It could make all the difference. What happens afterwards? I've called a friend at Hazelden. It's a rehab. They've got a bed waiting for him. Well, I'm... I'm not so convinced he's an alcoholic. Mom! Mrs. Smalley, does your husband ever drink in the morning? This is one of those tests. Yes, he drinks in the morning. Does he ever drink alone? Has he ever shot a family member while drinking? Yes. If I do this and it doesn't work, he's gonna make my life hell. How's your life now? Is there anyone else, any friends of his who might be willing to participate? Uh, Dad doesn't have any friends who would do this. Uh, The the truth is, uh, I'm his best friend. Donnie, if he refuses to stop drinking, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to tell your father that you will completely cut off your relationship with him? Yeah. Yeah, i told tell him. Don't if you don't mean it. I don't want any of you to threaten anything you're not willing to follow through with. I'll say it. I'll mean it. Me, too. Oh, God. Okay. Mrs. Smalley. You want this to work? I just I just can't. What can you tell him? Well tell him I'll spend less time taking care of him. And more time pursuing my own interests. (laughs)
1: so um the movie had no business being that effective it just didn't um and that was based on experience that al franken had coming from a family of addicts uh and codependency um this was from him dealing with alcoholics anonymous uh, and that that scene about setting up an intervention for their alcoholic father It had no business being that good and that sweet and that effective and that realistic and that accurate. I mean, this was a movie that was based on a wacky character with a goofy wig and a lisp that was on SNL 17 times. And they made a two-hour movie about codependency and a beautiful uh, movie about a family, a damaged family. And Harold Ramis directed the shit out of it with heart and with soul. And on top of that, it's also really funny. And it had all the goofy shit that Stuart Smalley did in the sketches, and they did it in the movie. It's the best SNL movie ever made, and it had no business being as good as it is. And I know a lot of people haven't seen it, and that's one of the reasons why I'm bringing it up right now. From 1995, do yourself a favor, Stuart saves his family. It's the best official SNL movie ever made, and one of the best and most accurate films about codependency and alcoholism ever made. And it had no business being that good. And I attribute most of that to the the great Harold Ramis. So those are it. Those are the 11 official movies. And again, uh, here they are. It's Pat, Blues Brothers 2000, Wayne's World 2, Coneheads, The Ladies' Man, Wayne's World, A Night at the Roxbury, uh, Superstar, Blues Brothers, MacGruber, and Stuart Saves His Family. Uh, and, uh, you know, I hope you check them out. You know, a lot of them you probably have already. Some of them you haven't missed. Maybe you'll go back and watch some of them again and think about how funny stuff like Superstar is A Night at the Roxbury. And especially go back and rediscover Stewart Saves His Family. So, anyway, those are the official 11 SNL movies, and they're out there for you to check out and see. And even the weird shit that I played before, the earlier stuff, like from the Milton Shorts and the movie Harold about the Balding Kid and Guild Alive, it's all out there available, so please check it out. Also, I would love it if you uh, gave me suggestions for SNL topics that you would like to hear me do a podcast about. Leave them on a voicemail at 773-417-6948 with your feedback. Email me anytime you want, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. That also is for my other podcast, the Nick D Podcast here on the Radio Misfits. But email me or call me with your suggestions about other uh, SNL podcasts as well. My thanks to Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. My thanks to you for listening. Please spread the word. If you're an SNL fan, tell them about the podcast. Go to Radio Misfits.com uh, or search That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, the SNL podcast, and check it out. All right. My thanks to Jason Skaggs as well. Who does the great opening theme and disclosing theme for the show? We will be back for uh, the next episode, next Wednesday, and I hope you're there with us for That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. I'm Nick DiGilio. Thanks a lot.
0: Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow.